Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate but love light, not heat, welcome home. So here's a term that gets thrown around quite a bit, cultural appropriation. And um, I don't know what you think. What do you see when I say that term? What do you see? What do I see? I see uh, bad hollow Halloween costumes. That's what I think. Nice. Sombreros? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The sombreros, the big, the big mustache. With the big I mustache? Saw, I saw a, You told uh, me you actually went to parties like that when you were younger. And they, there was... So, no, it was not, when I was in school oh, in at college. Santa Barbara, uh-huh. yeah, there was a lot of that. Yeah. I didn't realize how much people like to dress up. Like, that was definitely, that was not a Latino thing where I grew up. Costumes? People, like no, meaning like costumes all the time. Like, I didn't realize when, until oh. I went to college, and I would say it had to be almost 100% mm-hmm. driven by my more lighter shade uh, classmates. Yeah. Love to dress up. Love to do, but like. what's the context, though? Theme, Just anywhere? Theme parties. Theme really? parties. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to have. I missed them all. Uh, and this is the before cancel culture, the, the what do they call it, the pimps and hoes parties. Well, you can imagine what that was. You know, that was like, oh, the the, the Mexican party, the this party. The, but, okay, but that's an interesting point just by always, itself. But by itself, that's an interesting point. You could still have a pimps and hoes party, but you couldn't have a whatever Mexican party or a Black Panther party and have people show up in blackface. Well, I think it depends on what you end up doing in your pimps and hoes party because the, the, none of these things ended up well. That's the reality. And we were that was during an age where it wasn't as – social media wasn't obviously where it is now. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the stuff that you would see in these parties is people would, of course, like go down to the lowest common denominator and all these things. Yeah. So, and what they would dress as, like have the jerry curl. Oh, right. really? Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, you have to. You have to. If you can yeah. dress like a pimp, you have to have a, a Jerry Curl wig. I still remember that scene from Coming because, to America. I remember the original Coming there to America. Is no, because, yeah, exactly. Because, because the image people think of immediately, like, oh, you have to be a black person. It has to be. Like, it couldn't be any, anything else. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Yes. Coming to America? Uh-huh. Where the parents come over and they sit on the couch and they get up to, like, yeah, yeah, shake hands. All, all the, all all the, the grease, oil, all the, the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, grease exactly. on the couch. Exactly. So, anyway, so that's what I think about cultural appropriation. Yeah. I, I, I was seeing a video the other day that someone put, and this is one of those videos that are is like, I will put it in the anti woke category. Mm-hmm. Uh, could have been Instagram, I don't know where. It like was. a response to woke culture. A response to woke culture, and it was this white kid that basically was dressed um, in a sombrero, mustache, and it was like done in a, such a cheesy way on purpose. And um, he walked around. It seemed to be I at UCLA. He kept on asking people, "Do you think this is offensive?" And pretty much everyone that he spoke to as students, whether they were minority or not, they all said thought it was offensive. I think maybe most of the people that responded were not minorities. And then he went to like Overa Street and asked people if he thought it was offensive. I saw and everyone was like, 10 no. seconds of one of those videos because it came across my feed as well. And I remember one question that I think it was a black guy when he said, is this offensive? He said, well, are you Mexican? Right. And it's a it's a it's a reasonable question, but like I would have responded, well, like how does that, does it matter? Does it make it not offensive if it's an offensive costume? Because the whole thing was a caricature. Yeah, the whole thing was a caricature. even if you're Mexican, it's like that's a caricature. Right, 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 right. Uh, and then his whole point of the video was like, oh, see, I went to Overa Street and asked what I assume are Mexican people, and they didn't think it was offensive, but all these college students think it's offensive, so therefore I'm okay with it. Like, imagine if you're sitting there, a person there, minding your business that is 
a, a street seller, whatever the people are, and they yeah. have this white kid that shows up in the camera and asks you if it's offensive, what are you going to say there? Mm. There is, I think, a, 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 an, I would say go to East LA and ask young people walking around, what do they think? Not in college. Go, go ask what do they think. Go back to where I grew up and ask people there, what do they think about you your You wouldn't app? have to ask them anything. I'm just saying, they would you tell wouldn't you. get out of the neighborhood. So You wouldn't get out of your car that's you the, would to ask the question. The, that's the, the silliness of a video like that. Yeah. But what? Do you, but do you think that it's making a broader point, though? Or is there any... Re- the, re- the point he was trying to make is that the the wokeness that we have in, the, in, in what we consider to be offensive uh, is in these woke circles, which is universities, but in real life it's not. People don't think it's actually mm. offensive. I think that's the, the point he was trying to make. That's not like super. Your glasses are messed up. Yeah, sorry. I'm just gonna take them off. No, go ahead. Nah, it's fine. It's all right. As long as you, you can't see me as good now. By the way, move your mic just a little bit, like twist it, because oh, there it. you go. Yeah, yeah, now I you're talking. Now you're working out with weights. So the reason I, it, uh-huh. it's an interesting discussion to have cultural appropriation. Yep. And uh, of course, we're responding in some respects to a more recent story, and it involves a um, a movie that's coming out called Alina of Cuba, right? Alina of Cuba mm-hmm. is the movie, and it stars James Franco, who apparently has a strong resemblance to a young Fidel Castro, which is why the producers of that film say that he was cast in that role. Presumably, he's also a good actor, which I believe he actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that caused some controversy from some people recently, most maybe notably uh, John Leguizamo. Mm-hmm who is a Colombian-American uh, actor. He's been in a bunch of different things. Uh, I remember him from uh, the remake of Romeo and Juliet back at yeah, like, yeah. like in the... That's probably where I first remember him. That was yeah. like early 2000s, maybe? Yeah. Um, it had Claire Danes in it. It was directed by Baz Luhrmann. It was like super musical. Which and... is the one with Johnny... Uh, was it Johnny Depp? No, no, no. Um, with uh, 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 Al Pacino. Um well, get Carlitos or Carlitos Way. Oh, Carlitos Way. He was in that? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I saw that movie. I'm pretty but sure I don't, he I don't was. remember him. Am I, I, am I making that up? I don't know. You probably are, but it's okay. He's been Sorry. in a bunch of different He's been movies. A bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so he came out and he, uh, you know, criticized the, the fact. Him, no? What's that? He the, he's the one that shot him. Carli- oh, Carlito? Yeah, in Carlito's Way. Wasn't he the one that shot him? It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Right, all right. I'm, trying, I'm trying to figure out if. Is that, is, is that the refrigerator yeah, John running in the background or is that, our, is that the AC? You turned off the AC, right? I, did. I thought I did. Trying to deal with all of our sound stuff so we can get perfect Wait, His name audio. was Benny Blanco. In, uh, nice. In, in, uh, so he was way. And uh, Al Pacino's character basically spared his life. Nice. Uh, kicked, him, kicked him out of the club, decided not to kill him, and that's the guy that ends up taking him out. I also remember him in uh, Mario Brothers. Yeah. He played uh, yeah. Luigi, yeah, yeah. the brother. Um, but anyway, he came out and he said, he, he, he basically tweeted out that this was like, you know, I, I'm over this. I thought we we're beyond this of mm-hmm. casting non-Latinos in Latino roles. Bob, mm-hmm. obviously, for those who don't know, Fidel Castro was Cuban. <laughs> so if there was any question about that. And James Franco is not. Uh, I think right. he's Italian or whatever. Um, and now that itself has caused a little bit of a backlash, right? Comedians like Bill Maher have come back very strongly. Uh, right. You know, with their own perspectives on how silly this is. And many people have called out the fact that Leguizamo himself has played roles that are not Hispanic, right? So if it works for you, shouldn't it work in reverse, right? Which is why would you Mm -hmm. play Mm -hmm. an Italian or, you know, whatever, um, which he has in other other roles. So it got us— And this goes under the broader bucket of, like, all of the other call-outs people have had as it relates to playing characters that were not— whatever that ethnicity, sexuality, whatever it be the case, 
that that uh, uh, that character was that the, that the actor wasn't right, and and the pushback that people have had as it relates to all of that. And it's some just all actors, like one big umbrella. yeah. Some actors have actually uh, very recently um, said that they wouldn't have done roles that they'd done in the past. Right. I think right. including Tom Hanks. I think he said Tom Hanks yeah, yeah. in Philadelphia was one of them. Uh, the guy who did um, in that movie uh, the what's it called the da- the Danish Doll or something. It was like he pl- he played. Uh, Kind of a trans character. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the, the actor's name, but yeah. We're so bad about that. We really need to have better notes on this. But anyway, I'll find it. It's uh, the, the, anyway. There's been a number of actors who come out and said, "Hey, I wouldn't have done that again because that was then. This is now, etc." And then you've got other examples of people who have tried really hard to make um, movies that are culturally accurate and appropriate. Maybe most significantly and most recently, Steven Spielberg with West Side Story, which came out. Have you seen that movie yet? No, I never did. It's actually really good. I mean, well, it's really well. It's well-crafted. It's a beautifully mm. shot movie. I still prefer the original. but um, I never cared for West Side Story, the original and other variations of it. Do you like musicals? I, I went to the musical. I saw the musical, but I just never cared for the film. And I just it was a story that was not, in my mind, very relatable. Interesting. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I don't know. It, it, just the fact that it was in the early 60s kind of made it that it's not going to be relatable to me because that's not mm. how I came up. So I looked at more at a distance. But anyway, when that movie came out, you know, there was lots of steps taken. Uh, Steven Spielberg spent time in Puerto Rico. He researched mm-hmm. among film students in San Juan. He did a bunch of different things. They changed the musical score. All of the sharks who were the, the Puerto Rican gang that was against the Jets, all of them were actually Latinos. They included uh, a lot of, uh, you know, dialogue in the script that was in Spanish. They didn't mm-hmm. translate anything. I mean, they did like a lot of things that we would have thought was good. And yet some people still objected to it. In fact, a lot. I was actually looking at a piece. There was like this whole, basically like a class action of of, of outrage by certain intellectuals that were like, this is still, you know, treating us at a distance and it's not our story, even though it was better done and it's a beautiful film. We still don't like it. So anyway, that's an example of somebody trying to do this the right way and still mm-hmm. kind of getting backlash, right? Which is sort of the point that I think Bill Maher was making is like when you try to please everybody, it's just like a failure, you know, failure exercise or whatever. But I think the question is, like, what is this cultural appropriation? Does it need to be looked at as a whole? Do we need to tease things out? And, like, how do we view this, right? Because there are some things that are legitimately offensive, right? And maybe it has to do with the character, the personage that's being done. Example, okay? Uh-huh. The character of Jesus has been played in a lot of different ways. And sometimes because it's tongue-in-cheek, it's played by with irreverence. Or I remember this one. I forget the name of it right now. I'll look it up while you talk next. But there was a movie where they kind of, they made Jesus this kind of like drunkard. And, you know, this is all kind of stuff. And, like, they didn't really play the role the right way. And that can cause offense, right? Um, and there's been, like, all these examples of that. So maybe it has to do with the role. Could you have a white person play Martin Luther King? Like, that would be, you know, instantly, like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Right. But does that fall into the same category as just a character who has happens to be cast by somebody who is a good actor, but maybe doesn't represent that person's particular, you know, group? Right. You know, so I, I don't I don't know like where we start this, but I think like definitions maybe could be I mean, a starting point. Th- there's um I think part of it, um the, the, the two camps that I see with this, and there's always caricatures as they usually are. One is the is the camp of it should just be the best actor playing every single role. Like why that's are we Bill having, Mars position? A little bit, which is to your point, that's actually using Martin Luther King as an example, is like, well, if you have a white actor that happens to be a better actor, why shouldn't he play? Martin Luther King, 
But if you if you put that out and people saw that, I think it will lose a level of authenticity and credibility. Yeah. And, and the, regardless how good of an actor this person is, people are like, I just don't buy it. It doesn't mean this person's not a good actor. It doesn't mean that, you know, that they're not the best person for the job necessarily. But it just, I think it takes away from what that character, that, that person was and, and a representation of that character. So I think that's a, a real thing that you do got to think about. I think the other side of the camp is the the people that are in the category of like no one can ever act like anything other than they were already are. Um, and that's very complicated, frankly, to do it that way, because that is and this is a little bit of Bill Mars Bill Mars uh, argument is like that is what acting is, is pretending to be something that you're not. Right. Um, and if you get into that in that case, where no one could ever be anything other than what they already are, then you kind of are losing out on the various uh, like really maximizing what the story is, the kind of people that can be involved in a project, et cetera. And that's a problem. I think the part where I, so we can talk about culture appropriation and, and the places where we think of the, where the borders kind of lie. But all of these conversations in my mind tend to miss the bigger point, which is we still have a pretty massive underrepresentation of certain groups in movies and shows and, all these art, all these arguments about the best back actor should win tend to kind of like over like overlook that point that there just isn't like a concerted if there isn't a concerted effort to actually address these gaps of representation, then do those representation gaps actually ever get resolved? So if that's one, and that's the I think to me that's a big a big issue that these things tend to kind of miss. But you mentioned two caricatures. Did you mention both of them? The kind of people who think that best actor, best actor, and the people and that the people, no one ever should ever that no one should ever act a role that they're not themselves. Like, right. That is not true to who they already are. Right. If you're straight, you shouldn't be play gay characters. If you're if you're white, you shouldn't do black. If you're whatever race you are, should be like. Exactly. And we've seen cases of that, right? We've seen pushback on um, both, like in this case, a non-Latino actor playing a Latino role. We've definitely seen pushbacks of diverse actors playing what have been, even in fiction, non-Latino roles, or at least whenever I should present it that way. You saw a lot of the stuff in the superhero, kind of in the comic book kind of world, which, Genre, is, kind of, yeah. which is kind of hilarious, frankly. If you think of, I mean, the one that the one it reminds me of is uh, Aaliyah. Remember when Aaliyah played that vampire? No. Yeah, Aaliyah play a vampire, and this is part of the same interview with the vampire. It's another movie after that, but it's oh, part of the same series. one of the Anne series. Rice movies? Yeah. yeah, it's part of the same series, and people were up in arms because mm. this character was described in the thing as, as having like almost like pearl skin. And they, they, they did make her literally look whiter like in the, in the character. People were so up in arms on a fictional character or where their race is never actually said. But people were still up in arms that it wasn't a white person playing that role, right? So you have these 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 these, these sort of overreactions to these things. I think I think that, that to me are just like I think the the crazy. And by the way, just for the record, the film I referenced earlier was actually a Netflix special. It was called The First Temptation of Christ, and it's a Netflix movie that depicted Christ as a gay man, and it was out oh, last year. I heard year. about so, that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that that was the example. But it's not just a completely of. different category, though. That's more of a parody because it's more of a like that's. It's like having the stuff that um, uh, Inglorious Bastards. It is, but in this right, ca- like in that cat in that in that cat in that category, even the way Hitler's being portrayed is kind of a goofball, 
It's a completely different thing. Yeah, it falls into a different category. But if, but you're basically, you know, you're taking. And by the way, I don't know if the character who played him was gay. So that's another question. But you're basically taking a historical personage and then kind of layering in this other thing. So it's not exactly the same thing, but it's just the the one I was thinking about. Okay, here's the issue that one of the issues that I have. Uh It seems to me, though, from a distance, the same people that might say that only let's take the extremes you just articulated. The people who might say on one end of the extreme, only black people should play black roles. It feels to me that those are the people who are more than happy to see a black man play the role of George Washington in Hamilton. Am sure. I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. Okay. Do you yeah. see any kind of logical inconsistency in that argument? If the if if I believe both things? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But but I think there's logical inconsistency on both those sides. Right? Okay. Um, because it's funny. I was actually this week. <laughs> I was spending time with my parents. They were, they like to watch this show from I don't know when this show came out. It's maybe the fifties or sixties. It's called Bonanza. You know, you ever heard of this? Of course, show? yeah. Okay, so this is the show that they like to watch. And was it Michael Landon in that one? Young yes, Michael Landon. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. You're right about that. Um, so there was an episode, and in the episode, mm-hmm. there was like one of the like the, these guys. For those that never seen it, like this, the stories I think is is kind of anchored around this group of of guys that work in this farm or something. I, I actually don't know the show very well. It's a right? ranch. It's a ranch. Thank mm-hmm. you. So they're like kind of all working this ranch. Well, they had just hired this guy that just came in, and this guy was married to uh, like a, a Native American woman, right? Um, and the whole show kind of like they're actually dealing with race and everything, right? Where like they were getting a lot of racism and hate because this guy was married to this Native American woman. And when you look at the Native American woman, it's like <laughs> it's like the super white girl, super super yeah. white girl. That is like literally they, they took some brown paint and like let's just there were no Native Americans available as, for the casting as I'm many sure. layers as possible on her. There is nothing about that person that says Native American. There was because she wasn't. I'm sure. Okay, but there wasn't even like an actress. attempt to like, yeah, to like incorporate any cultural nuance into that into that role. And when I saw it, I was kind of laughing. I'm like, well, yeah, but this is where we're coming from. So I'm not in the camp saying that every Native American character, including when Johnny Depp played, uh, um, what's his name in Zorro, right? The like the the, the Native kid. American, yeah, the, yeah, not in Zorro, in in uh, in um, is Zorro no. No, no, no. It was uh, in the Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger. Sorry, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking. I was kind of sorry, but Lone Ranger, right? Mm-hmm. He played Tonto. Yeah, I'm not saying every character should be that, right? Where every character should be like has to be played by Native American, right? At the same time, where we came from is Bonanza, where there wasn't even an attempt, like they weren't even trying to like add any kind of cultural nuance, right? So that's the that's the issue that I see with with, with this whole argument is like, yeah. I get the point of the best actor, but really, was that really the best actor for that role? Right no. or bringing no cultural nuance at all to that character, really like the best expression of what that character should be. I'm gonna guess probably not. Right, so you're missing something when you're not adding the authenticity of what these people with life share, with shared ex- or with life experiences can bring to a character that someone else just can't. Okay, but then again, let's play the other side, which is then something. If that's true, which I I think is reasonable, then how do you make something like Bridgerton ever happen? Right. Where I could say, hey, somebody who has a white European background may be most adept at playing a 17th century, you know, French aristocrat because they can bring some of that to their role. Why? Because they were around at that time? Because they you you pick two British actors that are from the same area that grew up in us. Why couldn't both? Why wouldn't both those actors, regardless of race, have the kind of sensibility to actually being more connected to the material than than anyone else? 
for the same reason that somebody who, who is born today and 20 years old, you know, playing uh, Frederick Douglass, why why would that mean that they're any better? If they're black, just because they're black, they weren't around in the 1800s. Right. Like, so, But I think there is a piece, the argument you're making. I will put that in the, in the same kind of category. Maybe there is a case where you could cast, you know, you could cast Frederick Douglass as a white, as a white person. And everyone will be okay with it. Everyone believes it. It's credible. There's absolutely... And if it's done not in a, in a sort of a parody of or like another alternate universe or like some other version of it, like, you know, some like some of these, like, and I will put the, the um, like, Inglorious Bastards in kind of that category where the whole movie is sort of like an alternate timeline, right? Yeah. Um, I think that will be, the challenge will be is like, is that a credible thing that audiences will be okay with? I don't think so. Yeah, not I don't think so either. Today. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so either. And I don't think it's necessarily, a, well, I guess you could say not just in our climate today. Maybe later, before, maybe people would have been okay with it. But Well, people were clearly okay with it, but the example you just gave for Bonanza. I mean, people, they, they didn't think but about that's it. But that's because there was no representation. Right. It wasn't even a thought that people had. Like, why do we need to cast some of these roles? And that is the stress. Of it. I mean, the whole John Leguizamo thing, I don't know, by the way, just to be clear, my position, I don't agree with him. I don't think that we should be in a scenario where no one, unless you're from that specific group, that sexual uh, uh, orientation, whatever, that you cannot play the role. I don't believe that. At the same time, the stress or the, the, the issue that I, that I do see is that we do have a massive representation issue. So where do you actually – maybe the thing is this. Like, let's not worry about that if it's a, a historically Latino character that has to be played by a Latino actor. Okay, fine. Let's not do that. But then what are we doing as an industry to actually increase the opportunities for Latino actors, both and people both in front and behind the camera, to play a bigger role, to be more in line to what like what these markets actually are? You think of something like La La Land, it had very little represent- diverse representation. A movie that was literally set in L.A. Like, how does that happen? A musical. A musical set in mm-hmm. L.A., but still set in L.A. And it wasn't like set in L.A. in like, you know, 40 years ago, 60 years ago. And that was set in L.A. in like, the, you know, these, these day and age, but yet have very little representation. Mm. And that's the part where in all these arguments of the best actors should win out, people tend to just like miss that, that, that part of the, of the argument. There's actually a report that I was looking at, uh, the Hollywood Diversity Report that they put out every year, right? So the latest one was from this year. I think it was maybe put out like in March or May of this year. So what they did is they examined the top 252 English language films based on box office from the previous year, from 2021 data, right? Mm-hmm. And what they found is, well, while Latinos represent about 90% of the U.S. population, the study found that 7.1% of the leading acting roles were Latino. 7.7% of the overall film acting roles went to Latino, right? So about 7%, it's a little bit shy of 8% of the overall roles. And then behind the camera, Latinos accounted for 56 of the writers, and 7.1% of directors, right? So, and this is why, of course, at the same time, you think about who's actually driving box office receipts. Well, diverse people in general, Latinos are a huge chunk of that. That seems to be problematic. And it's not just as problematic, you can say, and by the way, that is significantly better than it's ever been. So when you don't have a conscious effort to address in these gaps, like, then what do you do? Is it just okay to have, like, no representation? bosses don't seem to care too much because the argument that I've heard many times is, like, well, they're already driving 30% of the box office. So, like, you know, and that's without any representation. Of course, it's a stupid way of looking at it because imagine if there was, maybe that 30% would be half or whatever the number is. Yeah, it's a tricky thing because, look, Hollywood is a very insular community. It is, like, very insular, very hospital corners, very, like, we only deal with our own. In a way, it's it's like a very regressive kind Mm -hmm. of culture in my experience. And they don't have – they interact – 
with the fringes maybe or the things outside of their own in the context of of creating work, creating a movie, doing something. That's when they go exploring. But in their personal lives, these are very insular people. Yeah. A lot of them are like, you know, they, they don't leave their little pocket, you know, their little areas. And I think that's that's at least part of the reason. I think the other one is that I don't think a lot of like black and Latino kids see themselves as movie stars, movie actors. There's a similar dynamic in the airline industry, and maybe we've talked about this before, something like two and a half percent of all pilots are black or brown. Two and a half percent. And when you think about the issue that the airline industries are having right now with demand for pilots, you would think like, well, gee, there seems to be a huge under index. That could be an opportunity. But I can tell you that part of it, at least, is the fact that when a kid, a young kid, a young black kid or or, or a young Latino kid goes through the kaleidoscope of opportunities in his mind. It's like a slideshow. You know, there might there might be athlete, doctor, lawyer. Mm -hmm. There's a slide missing for pilot. And I think there's a similar slide missing for like thespian or actor or whatever it is. There's something about it where it's just not clear that that's like an opportunity that exists out there because it can't just be one-sided in terms of what the issue actually is. Because these guys have been going balls out trying to get this represented. They got committees, they got reports now they're doing every year, and they can't get over 5%. Yeah, but that has to do with financing of films, who the directors are, who the casting directors are for, for, for this content. I don't think it's a situation where there's lack of actors who could be taking these roles or who could be doing, doing this work. Look, let me give you uh, another. So we said, what, 7% of leading acting roles are Latino, right? 7%. 7%. Now, overall minorities that played leading roles, the, the overall number of minorities in 2021 last year was closer to 39%, right? With 61% being like white actors, right? Which is about parity with the population. About parity, right? Because the population is about 43%, give or take, that are minority, right? Just 10 years ago, in 2011, wild guess, Charlie, what do you think was the percentage of minor, all in, not just Latino, all in? So right now it's 39, close to 39. I'd say half, half that. Half that at 30, so you're saying about 20%, right? Just 10 years ago, it was 10.5%. 10.5% of leading role, all minorities. We don't even talk about Latinos. I don't know what the Latino number moves, like negative five, yeah. whatever the number is, right? With 89.5% of the leading roles were white actors. That's I don't think that's an issue where there's just no talent out there. There's just I, no I, one. I agree with you. That's I, a concerted effort of, of so, so the question is like, if you do close that gap, if, you, if you're closing that gap, how intentional do you want to be about closing that gap? I think there's something big that you haven't mentioned and that I haven't mentioned, which mm-hmm. I think is important is the thinking of a black or Latino or even maybe a gay actor, The well, maybe less, less so gay. Let me hold that to the side for a second. Mm-hmm. For black and Latino, the idea that you put black and Latino actors in black and Latino movies, which itself as a category to me seems a little strange, mm-hmm. that is easily understood. You got all the Medea films, Tyler Perry, you've got you know all these different things. And they're, they're, it's a small number, a small percentage of the total films that get made. But Hollywood understands that concept. Oh, we're making a black movie, right? Going back to Friday and like all these other things. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. Going back to 70s exploitation movies, sure, sure. They, they had that. But the idea of we're going to make a movie that authentically looks like the world, not fake looks like the world, where right. like the cast has like the one girl in the wheelchair, there's a black dude, and we're all just kind of hanging out. Like, not that, because that <laughs> doesn't happen very often. Let's just be real. It just doesn't, yeah, okay? Yeah. But that's like, that scream sitcom com- comedy to me, right? Right. Where, like, it's very well like casted to yeah. like, 
just check off all the enough boxes where Absolutely. you're like, oh yeah, we got, got the, everything. You got the differently abled. You got this whole thing. But uh-huh. in a movie, in a movie like um, what was the one the LA one that you just mentioned? Uh, La La Land. In a movie like La La Land, yeah. where it's like this is supposed to be real LA, right? It's supposed to be LA. You would expect that would happen, and I think that there's a chip inside of Hollywood's mm-hmm. head where it was like. Yeah, we get it. We need this idea of vague representation, which looks a lot like we've mm-hmm. got the girl in a wheelchair and we've got the black guy, or we've got a black movie or right, a movie for right, like, right, I right. think those two modalities, like they kind of get, but they don't get this idea of like, what does an authentic experience look like based on whatever, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So are, are you familiar with the comedian Joe, Joe Coy? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. So he's Isn't it just... Joy or is it? I thought it was J.O., Joe Coy. Joe Coy, yeah, yeah, yeah the Asian guy. Yeah, he does a whole yeah, he's Asian Filipino, routine. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he just very recently released a film. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking right now. I can't find what the name of the film uh, is called. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll look it up in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. It's called Easter Sunday. That's what it is. Okay. Easter Sunday, Easter right? Sunday. I was, it is Joe Coy, you're right. Joe Coy. So mm-hmm. he just released a film called, called Easter Sunday. Now, what was interesting is I heard him. I not heard him. I watched the video of him. It was it looked to be a screening where he was talking about the film, the why he did it, the inspiration, et cetera, right? Um, and one of the things that he talked about is like a lot of the why he wanted this film. He wanted to do this film like for his mom. He's like, you know, how many he was talking about how many shows you've seen, movies you've seen around hospitals. Um, think about historically things like ER and all those shows. Like how many times in any of those shows have you seen Filipino nurses? He said, I'll tell you right now, zero. Like, my mom is a Filipino nurse. That's what she grew up doing. And it's an industry that a lot of Filipinos participate in. But yet in film, somehow, like, they've been completely erased. Just don't even show up. It's not part of, of the mix of people that are, that are in these shows. And he created a film where it's, uh, I think, predominantly uh, Asian cast and made it very, was very intentional about creating a film that actually represented, especially in that industry, the contribution, the, the, just the involvement that Filipinos have as it relates to the medical industry that tend to not show up. So it is interesting when he said that I was, I was, I, I mean, like kind of was going down my mind, like, Oh yeah, I used, to, I used to watch some of these shows before. Like, I don't remember. That's actually kind of a good point. I, I have, I have the stat 28%, not for Filipinos, but just as a general benchmark, uh, about a third of all medical assistants are diverse. Mm-hmm. A third. Yeah. And that would and, include nurses, and, you, know, you know, phlebotomists. Come here to uh, in LA, go, go to a hospital, 100%. And, and yeah, Filipinos like a big portion. Yeah, that is. And I thought that was such an interesting, insightful thing that he brought up. And I was like, oh man, like I don't think about, I don't think about it in that context. But doesn't this all just come down to the fact that you're not going to make something authentic if you're not steeped in it? Like if you don't, if you've never taken a second to look around or have even been in an ER, maybe these are all people that just have private doctors or something. I don't know. But like if you don't engage and you right. don't see what's really happening, how would you know? How would you know? Like the solution, like the answer is so simple it, to me, it seems at least a huge part of it is if you want to be a craftsman, especially in this kind of trade of making content, you have to like, inte- you want, you have to want to do this. Mm-hmm. No amount of somebody telling you this is really good to do, it gets it done in my mind. Yeah. So, so then really the conversation is a combination of like good story or great story, great uh, acting, and then authenticity all tied into one. And sometimes it is finding the right balance between can you actually reach great story, great acting, and authenticity without necessarily being fully authentic at every single role. Maybe maybe that's okay. Maybe some there's some cases where to the point that you had 
James Franco playing this role, like I don't need that part to be fully authentic. I'm okay with that actor, with that not having the full express of actually having lived in, like growing up in a Cuban household, having firsthand experience of how people's parents and grandparents dealt with having to escape from Cuba, carry none of that baggage into a role. Maybe that's actually a good thing in this case. Yeah, it could be. Right. It could add to it for sure. But maybe you're actually, you sort of have a, a different, different take on it. But to simply say that it should just be always just be the, the best acting, I think it's, A, it actually undermines the fact that you have these diverse actors that are great actors, right? That it's, it's kind of like bypasses that because it almost makes that assumption in my mind. It's like, also an impossible metric to really nail anyway because, I mean, you're saying the best actor according to who? According to one person. Maybe somebody right, else thinks the other actor's better. Yeah. And I think they're great examples of actually having non-like actors that are non Latino or necessarily representative of who that actor or who that person was. Like, for example, Narcos, right? The the guy that played he's uh, Portuguese. Uh, he's Brazilian, no? Or well, I'm sorry, yeah, he's Brazilian. He's Brazilian he, spoke, right? he spoke Portuguese. He's Portuguese. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's Brazilian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one who played Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar. Yeah. Right now, that was a controversial one. Um, I always kind of joke with people, like one of the most hilarious casting in my mind. <laughs> this is a case where it was not about authenticity, just like good marketing. Was casting uh, Bad Bunny. As a Mexican narco, uh, in one of the narco, it was the worst. Charlie, try to hear the, like you literally could have just made it up. So like, hey, listen, we just have in the story. This is my cousin. He's whatever a friend of a cousin. He's from Puerto Rico, and he's gonna be. He's one of ours. Like he's one of our guys. Just call him what he is. His Spanish was so terrible. Mm. Like it was so non-Mexican that it like. It made me like laugh when I was when I was seeing. It. It was, like I could not get over how bad it was. Yeah. But yet, this was a pure marketing. This is not the best actor. This is not about authentic story. This is just simply a pure marketing play mm. to get people to want to watch Narcos because Bad Bunny is super popular. And, and, and right of now, course. anything Latino, you throw Bad it Bunny sells, into maybe. it and that's, that's what's going to make it work. It's so interesting because I'm not going to... Oh, and I wasn't even upset because he's Puerto Rican playing a Mexican role. That was not my issue. It, just, yeah. it was just so bad. It was so bad. It was not believable. I think that... that I, I kind of go back to the fact that it, it's important to de-average here. And if I really study this for like a week, I think I could come up with a few categories or use cases of these different things, right? You've mentioned a couple right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the historical character, George Washington, Frederick Douglass, etc. And there's something that goes along with that where I believe if there's enough distance between the present day and then, it it kind of minimizes the the... the the outrage, potentially. So if somebody, look at the movie 300, famously based on, you know, the uh, the Spartan warriors right, who right, held right. off a 30,000-person uh-huh. person uh, army by King Xerxes, most of those guys were European dudes, right? And, and I mean, yes, Greece, part of it is you could make the case European, et cetera, but it's not like they were all Greeks, right, that were, mm-hmm. like, in these roles. But because it was so far into the past, I feel like somehow it gives you a little bit of license to, to, to be more creative with that, with that casting. If it's somebody closer, like, let's say they're going to make a movie about George Floyd. Could you imagine, you know, I don't know. Brad Paisley or somebody else, some white guy playing that role just because he's really good or maybe is super steeped in what happened and he knows every aspect of it? Probably not. But 200 years from now, somebody playing George Floyd, maybe there would be a different thing. So mm-hmm. I think there's sure. some there's some element about history that ties to it. The other one is kind of the reverse of the Bonanza example that you gave, mm-hmm. where you take like a white person and just kind of make them look like they belong in that group. Yeah. The example that I would bring up in that use case is La Bamba. Yeah. Famous, right? You got Richie Valens, who's Filipino Native American, mm-hmm. playing this Mexican cat, right? Because right. he 
look, I could, I could hear the conversation. Well, he looks Mexican. Right. <laughs> he looks Mexican. Who's going to know the difference, right? Right. So it's like this inverse because like you're already the right color, so we'll keep you. We're just right, going right. to put you in this completely different role. So I feel and by like the way, and I thought he was great. I thought he did I, a great job. He, he, did, he did do a good job. I still, I, I mean, I, yes, he did. But my question, which is the ridiculous question, was like, there are no, there's no Latinos you could cast in the, Me- like, it's a Mexican lead. Like, you, right. there's, there's not one that we can find. Maybe they did. Maybe they looked at a hundred of them, but right, I right. doubt it. Right. It reminds me of, totally unrelated, but it reminds me of when I went through formation for the diaconate and we're studying the New Testament, right? And the book that they picked was from an atheist scripture scholar. And my question was like, we couldn't find one Christian who wrote a book about the Bible? Like, come on. Right, it right, just right. seemed intentional. Anyway, that's a side <laughs> point. So those are at least two kind of like yeah. use cases, but there's probably a few other ones. And I think that all of it leads you to this idea of you can't be one of those poles. You can't be the it's only the good actor. Right. And I don't think it's tenable at all to say that you have to be right. black to black, Latino to Latino. I, I just think that that's ridiculous. Right. It's, I, I feel they're both kind of or ridiculous. Or you can only play – yeah, you can only play the the character that you are most closely aligned to in everything. It's not just race. It's like – is race, is uh, uh, sexuality. It's kind of it could be. An, I mean, you could, you could go beyond that. But what about culture too, though? I mean, go back to the James Franco thing. Let's say Leguizamo got that role. Leguizamo, you're Colombian, dude. Let me explain to me how you're connected with a communist regime and the experiences of leaving a country. And I don't care how Latino you are, the Cuban experience is a very unique experience. So I'd rather have a white person who was Cuban play the role than Leguizamo, who's a little darker and Latino. Like I, w- I honestly would because they might be more in tune to that Cuban experience than him. So yeah, but in this case is not that right. You know, we're not talking about someone that's actually close to the culture at all. I mean, the reality. Right, but is you like know, I, there are some, there are white I people mean, in the Cuba. Argument, is what I mean. The argument, your argument is actually more in line to what happened with Selena. Think about that. Like that was a huge controversy back in the day, right? And it was all because it, I mean, it was controversial for a bunch of different reasons, including starting with this is the role that made J Lo. Right, like she became a star from from for playing sure. Selena for sure, and I thought she did a great job. But there was a lot of controversy about her being a New Yorkerican playing this, you know, was supposed to be a Mexican American Selena from Texas, right? And especially in in there, for those I'm maybe too young to, to know this or remember this, part of what the 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 studio really fucked it up is that they did a promotion. I don't know if you remember this, where they had people an open casting call across the nation. For people that look like Selena to come and try for the role, so you had all these young women Super excited, in Texas, stoked to that look like her, that yeah. were probably from the same Corpus Christi, probably from the same hometown. You know, like all people were like, oh great, this knew every she, song, knew every song. You know, deep in the culture, um, and then this, you know, New Yorkerian that was known at that point mostly for being a fly girl was was casted in this role. You know, done a couple of B level movies. Money trains one of them. I'm really like dating myself here in, in the in my oh, knowledge never, of J Lo. It's, it's too old for me. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I never no, had a chance great. to see that. Uh, I had a crush on her since that yeah. day, and yeah, I think I got. Over I remember it. Living Color. I remember Fly yeah, Girls yeah, yeah. for sure. But that's what it was. Like, like that also like added so much fuel to the fire. Where people were so enraged by it, and it wasn't because she wasn't Latina. Of course, she's Latina, but it was that she did not represent that group. And I, but I think also in this case, the marketing behind the holiday generated bus was just a terrible, terrible way. Um, and it, um, yeah. Anyways. If I was casting, I think that I would prioritize, of course, competence and the quality of acting mm-hmm. would be up there. But also, you know, uh, and, and, and in that is part of the ability to adapt to these different roles because good actors do that, right? Whether it's physically changing or evolving. Look at what, look at what, um, 
what um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix did for the Joker. I mean, like physical transformation. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro did the opposite in Raging Bull, gained 80 pounds, right? The ability to be physically, like so good at your craft that you can become the character. Like that mm-hmm. would be part of it. But next in line for roles like this would be culture. I really think it would be culture, not uh, an you know color or belonging to an to a particular caste within you know a group or matching pigments. Like I just feel that those things to me would be nice to have way down the path of decision making. If it was me casting it, yeah, I, I think the other thing you have to talk about in this in this case is is not just um, the casting, but like take a step back in the directing and then more specifically the budget associated with these films. So this same report that I was telling, the Hollywood Diversity Report, also looks at what kind of film budget do people get by sort of by director's race, right? So when you look at what race directors are, what does that then look like in terms of budget? And putting minorities all under one grouping. I wish they had a Latino breakout, but I didn't see one. Now, it was it was really interesting about the data is when you look at the the extremes, let's start with the highest end at over a hundred million dollar film. Whether you're a minority director or a white director, the percentage of films that are getting over 100 of directors that are getting over 100 million is about the same in both cases, about 9%. It just really speaks about to what 90? A 9%. 9%. Yeah, 9.7% for minorities, 9.9% for white directors, right? So about a little bit shy of 10% of directors that are either white or minority get uh, a get hundred million dollar budget, million budget. so that means at the very top end at the very very top end you can you have pretty par- like good parity right which is great the problem is not that the problem is on the on the the, the bell curve the bell curve yeah. and you look at the bottom end right so let's look at let's talk about the other extreme so when you get a budget of under 10 million dollars which is kind of they, they didn't actually break it out further but, but i'm sure you break it out under 10 you like under five what does that look like frank i don't know if at that money you could actually make a full film at least the way that, that they categorize it but at under 10 million the share of white directors that get budgets of under ten million is twenty eight point six percent. All right, another, another guessing time, Charlie. What do you think it is for minorities? If it's twenty eight percent, twenty almost twenty seven percent for 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 white directors, what do you think that percentage is of directors that are minority that get a film budget of under ten million dollars? Well, I don't know. Maybe double. Yeah, it's actually it's not quite double. It's forty percent. Well, that is so for, that is, yeah, that is yeah, close to double. It's close, right? What's interesting is is the there is a big gap in the in the budgets that people get based on ethnic like minority versus white, but the biggest gap, which actually we haven't talked about a lot of, it, is actually gender. That's Ooh. the one that you see a really big difference. On the gender side, there you see top end over hundred million dollars. About once again, about ten percent of male directors get budgets of under hundred million dollars, compared to women, that's about five point nine, so about half. Of women get uh, uh, the women directors get a hundred million dollar budgets. Uh, on the bottom end, there's a lot less of them too, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's part of the problem, right? So there's a lot, a lot less of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, even this thing, this study looked at fifty one were total female directors and one hundred eighty one that were part of the study that were male, right? Um, and then on the bottom end, at under ten million, it was twenty eight percent, about the same, right? For mm. for males, for male directors that had a budget of under ten million. For female, that was about half. It's forty seven point one percent, right? Um, it's not half. I mean, about double, right? Of of those, so you're having women in general. It's a lot less of them, and they're getting like less budget to do films. And I think all of this impact in terms of representation, and impact in terms of who gets casted, and impact kind of films get created, kind of stories. What kind of authentic stories are getting told to begin with? Yeah, you can see that in both ends on the minority side and on the on the gender side. Yeah, look, I I don't. Um, 
I don't. I think that the solution, because it's not neat and clean, and it can't be solved with a checklist, is going to be is going to be hard to achieve. Because I think the solution, if there is one to all of this, is much more nuanced, and it is about actually taking an interest in the subject matter that is important to the audiences that you're trying to reach. And if they looked at that and said, okay, well, this is what the country looks like, and where are these stories coming from, you would think that it would be automatic that I'd be looking to... You know, looking in those stories and then trying to find out people who could authentically portray them and authentically direct them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Let me ask a question. In the case of Fidel Castro, do you think, like, even in the same example of Martin Luther King, and I know we put them in very, they're in very different categories. Yeah, slightly. But in terms of of our separation from when these folks were were alive and everything, I mean, it's actually been longer for Martin Luther King than it has been for Fidel Castro. I mean, he, you know, passed away, whatever it is now, 15 years ago. I don't, I don't know when mm-hmm. it was. So if, if the same thing happened, if, if, if Franco had been casted to play Martin Luther King, there would be massive outrage. Like, there's just no way anyone would be okay with it. I know. Then wh- why is it okay in the case of, of Fidel Castro? Like, it's closer to, to when it's happened. Um, unless, once again, the argument is that his, his culture made no difference to that character. That is not a major part of what that character is. Uh, that would be, I mean, I guess the argument. Right, like, th- like that's the that's the part that I find interesting in, in, th- in having this conversation. I think on some level, it's because the way appearances communicate a lot to people, and when people see when they have a, a a visage in their mind of a black personage from history, whoever that person is, when they see a representation of that person, yeah. and the their their outward appearance is automatically different. It communicates much more than it frankly should, right. but it's understandable why right. it does. So it automatically... It kind of breaks un- the connection a little bit more. It breaks the connection and it seems far more disingenuous. And then yeah. it, then yeah. you can ascribe can a lot of negative things to it. Like, oh, these guys are appropriating, doing X, whatever. So I think that there's something about, okay, well, you, you know, you're vaguely beige, let's call it. And then there's some other person who's va- <laughs> vaguely beige. It's less jarring. I think yeah. that's a big part of the issue. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting question is it doesn't work in reverse because when you have Hamilton and you've got a black George Washington, I, I look at that and I'm like, I'm cool. Now, part of it could be what you said earlier, which is that's the genre of thing you're watching. Now, mm-hmm. in that case, it's not a spoof or anything, but it's this sort of— It's a reimagination. It's a reimagination. There is. you go. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a reimagination. So, so by virtue of you engaging in this at all, you're suspending some of those yeah. those those things right right and it'd be interesting to see in that context would people be okay with it like maybe some reimagination of the underground railroad like directed by baz lerman like as a musical or something crazy and then you might have you know the asian you know sojourner truth or something like that maybe i I think that i think people would be okay with it if if it's presented in that manner which is like a reimagination i mean look one of the things that marvel kicked off is the whole idea of multiverse and what does that all look like? And That's I think there is too. so much content now that is kind of in that genre of like, 
I'm gonna give you like it's actually it's actually brilliant. You think about it. I'll take the same fucking storylines, just tweak them a and little bit. It. And it's like, a different world. It's a different world. Absolutely. Yeah, the, whatever rules we talked about is about. I could tell the same story, just slightly different. All it is is more story runway. Is right. All it that's is. All it is. And, and actually, that's, that's I think that's super that's, interesting. Want to talk about marketing now? Now we're coming up with some good campaigns. Here's an interesting marketing thing: is uh-huh. you could do a multiverse kind of thing for a historical event. Oh, for sure you could. And then have have that. the uh, leverage the outrage. But you've got a perfect excuse in the back behind it. It's like, wait, this is a multiverse. So you get the benefit of the outrage and the amplification of people going, how dare you cast Joaquin Phoenix as Martin Luther King Jr.? But it's you got the ready answer, which is like you missed the point. This is a multiverse, right? Right. right. So that would be genius because you get all the benefits of the noise without any of the accountability. That could be cool. Um, One last thought I will give you, Charlie, from this report that I thought was really interesting is, you know, you think about what. What is the like? Where does authentic stories begin? And I think uh, so much of this begins in the actual writing of the story, mm. before casting, before anything else. Like the stories that are actually being told, make a massive difference in of terms course. of like the authenticity, like how characters get developed, how the bonanza thing. When that was being written, no one thought about like, oh, should we even think about having any kind of cultural nuance? Should we consult anyone about just better understanding like the this you know nope. Native American culture? Nah, nope. like, eh, no, whatever. Right, and by the way, I thought it was a super progressive of episode. If you was. think about it, from yeah. that, like even yeah. now, I'd be like, oh, they were like fighting against this guy who's obviously being a bigot. It turns out that the guy's like mom was also Native American, and he was so he was half, and therefore that's what he was like so bothered about because he got bullied. And so, like, there was all this like baggage that was ever like, oh, this is actually like a super progressive episode that probably first aired. I don't know, the 50s? Late 50s. I don't know, whenever it was. The, 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 it, was the, it was actually really interesting. And you know? the Native American thing is actually, I mean, look, I don't know what the numbers are in either case, but there's obviously a lot of white actors who who put on blackface in, in old mm-hmm. Hollywood. Yeah. But the, but the Native American thing was, I mean, literally every time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was every time. It was like, because you got a little paint on your face, so it could be anybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> put the headdress on, you're good. Didn't, didn't John happened. Way play... Um, uh, yeah. Um, I can't remember. Sitting Bull or something, right? Or one of those. No, uh, um... I'll think about it. Uh, Asian, an Asian character. One of the uh, big emperors, uh, Gen- Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Oh, he yeah, did. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the same accent. And Peter Sellers Same super, <laughs> super country accent. For sure. <laughs> they didn't even try it, dude. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, but but going back to the, the – I think it starts with the writing, right? And there you also have seen major, major shift in the representation. In writer's that, rooms. In writer's rooms, right? So currently – uh, you know, we had talked about some of the behind the, the scenes. I think we were on 5%, right? Kind of all in. But minority writers, um, as of last last year in 2021, about 32% of them were minority compared to about some 68% that are white, right? Mm-hmm. White writers. Um, what that was 10 years before, uh, minority writers, so it went from 32, it went from what it was 10 years ago, it was 7.6%. From, so from 7.6% to 38 to 32%. How much of that is the result and then of you just had the explosion? White writers of 92% what yeah. it was before, and, and just 10 years ago. Like, that's crazy. How much of that, though, is the, but hang on before you take a victory lap. How much of that is the <laughs> result of the massive explosion of content? And platforms, Probably. and the fact that we've got so much stuff, and ninety yeah. percent of it doesn't get watched at all. I mean, there's just so much more that you can see. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has created more opportunity to create content. Um, also, we, I mean, this kind of puts them all in the same kind of category, but I'm sure there's big differences in terms of when you start tearing out the size of films, the types of budgets, and how does that then look like versus the how diverse the writer rooms are. I think you'll see some differences there as well. But all my point, the reason for bringing that up is, is simply saying like. 
there is real value in the work that has been done and trying to push this number up in terms of representation because it matters to the type of storytelling you're doing and it matters to connect creating content people are gonna are gonna engage with which goes back to the, this is why the, the John Leguizamo I don't necessarily agree with him but he kind of has a little bit of a point which is is this about him playing but like there is still a massive under indexing Latino representation in Hollywood but he didn't say that I think that's the problem no he did actually he actually talked about it he's like I don't want us to stop until we get to thirty percent of this like why aren't we there now he was picking on. On, uh, on James Franco as getting this role, and that's where he started. Mm-hmm. But his beef, it goes beyond James Franco. It's about representation in Hollywood and getting to what's a, what should be a fair share. And he talked about it. If we're going to get to, if we're driving this much of box office, why aren't we getting the opportunities for the roles that are, that are uh, like at scale with the, with box office uh, participation? It's a very, like I said, super insular community. Look at your studio heads. Look at who these people are. Yeah. And they usually go from chair to chair. Mm-hmm. The guy who was the studio head at Paramount is now the studio head at Fox. Yeah. The one who was at Fox is now at you know, Universal. It's, a, it's like there's like 10 people mm-hmm. who ultimately control like a huge portion of these decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And until those people, like again, step out of their bubble or maybe at least recognize the monetary potential here. That would be sad, but at least would lead to a, a better effect. I still think that people, you don't get to what you could have. Yeah, yeah. And and in this case, similar dynamic when you look at it by gender. I mean, there is massive underrepresentation in gender uh, in Hollywood. Uh, writers and maybe not so much as uh, like broad acting, but uh, but at least on the in lead roles as well. And so, in pay, it just came out. As a matter of fact, did you see this this piece on Jurassic World? Uh, where the 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 main co uh, co lead, um, she like it, it turns out that she was paid significantly less than Chris Pratt. Oh, Bryce Bryce Dallas or whatever. Yeah, what Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, she, yeah. And he actually talked about she talked about the fact that how much he was trying to like help her get paid more, but there was still, still a massive difference in terms of what she was getting paid versus what he got paid. Mm. And she's yeah, a no, big name. She's a big name, and she's a director too. That's uh, Ron Howard's kid. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. another good director. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Jesus, we haven't solved the cultural appropriation problem, but I think uh, we've uh, we've discussed it again. For me, it's a question of the averaging and coming in contact with other folks and stop, you know, not doing this from an ivory castle, which so, is kind of the way Hollywood works. But but just in, in your like, where do you fall in that sort of in the two polar extremes that we just talked about? Um, I definitely am closer to the one about letting the letting the best acting win. OK, but it's not. Uh, a binary thing for me. In other words, it can't just be the best actor um, because, again, based on who, how do you know you've looked at a sample size of the right people to determine that this is the best actor? Because that we've talked about this before. It's the same issue with a lot of these things. If, if I'm pulling from the same group, the same places, the same casting agents, the same CAA, the same UT, mm-hmm. whatever, if I'm pulling from that same thing and going, this is the best one of these – and I haven't looked at these other 20, 30, 40 other options, then I really can't say that this is the best actor in a, in a kind of a broad pool. Yeah. So I think that it's got limited potential, but I do think that that is significantly more cogent an approach than saying this is a black character so it or a Latino character and it must be played by a Cuban-American because of that. I just think that that really limits the acting craft to yeah. a, a almost like a like – a, like a live reenactment or something like mm-hmm. it's, it, there's no, there's a lot more pressure placed on the art at that point. Yeah. And I do believe that, that we should allow people to engage in their craft, but I'm, I'm on neither one, but if it was like, if those are the two poles, I'm, I'm more to this side, yeah, yeah. you know, pulling Your left center, 
center left. I guess center if we're left. using the left there to, we go. to be that argument. Finally, it took this many number of episodes yeah. to get you to, <laughs> to admit to that. it. Finally, I admit it. You converted me. <laughs> I um, knew it. Yeah, so that's 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 kind of where I would be. But I also believe that you need to de-average these things and sure. talk about what are you making. Is it historical? Is it a biopic? Is it a farce? Is yeah, it yeah. a reimagination? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so agree. I think all that plays a role. Yeah, I, 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 the way that I'll phrase where I'm at with this is like I think is I don't think is the best actor, um, and I don't think it's necessarily needs to your point the other the other extreme where everything has to fall within whatever that group is supposed to be. I really do think it's about the best story, and I think to me, my my mind the best story means like what's the most believable, authentic version of the story that's going to resonate. Mm. And while an authenticity changes depending on the kind of story that we're talking about, we're talking about a parody, a comedy versus a a drama, like all of these will vary. And I think, and the subject, like if we talk about a historical figure where their culture was a major part of who they are, then you probably should be more thoughtful about making that part. See, so it's, it's way more nuanced, but I think it really does have to be the story. And I don't think that you should be thinking about it's, which means it's not always the best actor. Otherwise, I would have Tom Hanks in every single role, playing every single part. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's not right because as good of an actor as he is, and I think he's one of the greatest, the authenticity will fall in certain roles that he plays. People, I just can't get over the fact that Tom Hanks made a role that doesn't make sense for him to be playing, mm. even as good of an actor as he actually is. Yeah, agreed. You want to move on to Courage or Cringe? Yeah. Let's do it. So I, I got a doozy for you this week. Oh, I'd love, love to hear I mean, it. We don't have to start with me. Oh, let's do it. I like the way we always start with you. All right. So I'm, I, have a, I have a great courage of the week, Jesus. What? I have a courage of the week, and it goes to um, a gentleman by the name of Eric J. Lerner, who is president and chief scientist at LPP Fusion. And he's the author of a very interesting article, which made the rounds in the physics and cosmology space wow. this week. In fact, just yesterday, this thing was, was published. Mm. And the name of the article is, ready for this one? Drum yeah, roll? Yeah. The Big Bang Never Happened. Okay. That's, okay. A, that's a bold, that's a bold, bold line. Bold statement. So this story is taken from um, basically a number. There's, there's a, a James Webb. Talk about being a contrarian. All right, let's hear total it. Total contrarian because uh-huh. this is, you know, you want to talk about settled law and settled whatever. In the right. scientific community, the idea that the universe began to to began to be basically around 13.7 billion years ago and that it's been expanding ever since and it explains a variety Uh of different things and it was all matter in creation was condensed in this giant ball of you Uh know of potentiality and then at one moment it just exploded and we've been watching the universe expand ever since in this massive explosion of which we're a part that's like settled science and I'm using air quotes but settled science right right. Uh even though technically it's still a theory but the Big Bang is something you'd have a hard time talking mm-hmm. to cosmologists and physics, physicists about that this isn't real. Uh-huh. But that's what this dude basically did. And he bases this on um, new images from the James Webb Space Telescope, which recently came out, that show – and I'm not a cosmologist, but actually this piece was very easy to follow. Um, it, it shows – the images show surprisingly many galaxies, galaxies that are surprisingly smooth surprisingly small and surprisingly old. And I can talk a second about why that matters. Here's Mm -hmm. why I give it a courage. Mm -hmm. Precisely because this guy is saying, I'm getting blackballed. Nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody wants to put me in their academic journals, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. But this is a legit dude. And in fact, he's got like 12 other people to like real serious cosmologists to kind of sign on with him. But he's a person who right now is kind of crying in the woods. 
with a very novel, very interesting yeah. way that would like upend what we've thought about physics for when, like. When, when is he going on Joe Rogan? A hundred years. No, 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 no. Well, he might. I think he's he might be on. That feels he, like very on brand. He, like, he very, might. Very he might brand. be. But I give him kudos for uh-huh. for you know fighting the good fight on this. I don't know if he's right, but just really quickly because uh-huh. I find this stuff fascinating. The idea that galaxies, and I'll just pick a couple of these, but the fact that, that the images show that galaxies are surprisingly smooth, these very distant galaxies, mm-hmm. the reason that matters is because the Big Bang Theory explains that what happens to galaxies as they come together in this expanding explosion is they collide and they become these larger galaxies. Mm-hmm. And yet, looking at these distant galaxies that we've never seen before, they're all very smooth. They're all very perfectly delineated, mm-hmm. which means they haven't crashed with anything before. And it kind of like is a major thing. If they're that far away and they're that old, they should have collided, right, based on the the, the prevailing right. theory. And it shows that they haven't. Also, the fact that they're super, super old contravenes this because if the Big Bang occurred, then there's something about the 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 galaxies that are in the outer band should be of a certain age, mm-hmm. and the ones that are in the inner band should be of a certain age. And these images kind of contravene that data. Mm-hmm. So there's like major reasons why this guy's saying like, look. And in fact, some physicists have written very recently. This is happening in real time in the physics community uh-huh. right now. But have written like this one who's the the head of the physics department at one of the universities here in the U.S. has written like, I haven't been I've been waking up at three o'clock in the morning every day since these images came out. Like it is that shocking. Oh, and there's another academic. Journal that came out with the headline crisis because like everything we believe may not actually be true so but i give this a courage for the reasons that i've mentioned i do think it's important to look and science especially science is basically about like if technology advances to where i can look at something in the past that i thought was true and now look at it in a different way we have to be able to look at those things and yeah, be open sure. to those new discoveries yeah, yeah. and so that's why i'm a courage for mr learner I think, I think prevailing theories should stay prevailing until they're proven otherwise correct but we get very hardened though we get very hardened and it's like this is the way it is this right, is the way right, it right. is and we have to look at new things so there you go um, so that's my courage of the week courage of the, i have no response because i know nothing about that category i could ask my uh, my niece you know she's oh, she studying astrophysics there you go uh, as a matter of fact, this is uh, is this her first week? Yeah, I think I told you she's uh, in the PhD program at Harvard. Just nice. started, so very good. Yeah, so we'll g- her give her give her a couple of weeks, and uh, we'll we'll bring her on the show and ask about this, see what she thinks. There you go. Uh, well, I'm gonna go the opposite direction, Charlie. Since I've been I've been all courage all day long. I feel like it was about time for me to go on a cringe. All right. Uh, so my cringe is uh, I have a couple of uh, of nominations for this week. It's all on the same topic, but. Uh, my cringe is is the response that uh, a couple of uh, Republican senators and House Representatives had specifically around the the Trump raid, and I'll start with uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, oh, who what, who came out very aggressively to defund the FBI. Not only did she tweet about it, she nice. started selling T-shirts about it. Defund, defund, the, defund FBI. the FBI. Defund and, the police. And this is like the national police. The most hilarious. Like response to this it didn't work is, for the liberals. I doubt it'll work for this. I'm, I'm simply saying is like for the what what, are they, what do they call them the um, the laws the law and order crowd, which is this is the law and order crowd uh, to now be so aggressive against the FBI. This is this is why all of it. I'm so skeptical with all politicians around every single one of these stands because it only works until it doesn't work for them or it goes against their nar- nar- narrative. An even funnier one. Oh, that's a that was a really funny one. Another one that I that I this arena piece that had it was Senator Rand Paul, right? So Senator Rand Paul, I think it was um la- last year he visited police officers in his home state, right? And he promised them to fight against the movement to the fund police and was upset 
with the way law enforcement officers are seen. Now, in this speech that he gave them, he said, I think the media and many of the public are treating or portraying law enforcement as if you're 99% bad. So I think it's the opposite. I think 99% or, or higher are good, and there's occasionally bad people. Right? This is going back to the bad apple. So, of course, you would expect Rand Paul to stand up for the FBI. I'd be like, no, these are 99%, 99% good. good people. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he did not. I don't want to be mentioned. He's selling T-shirts too? Or yeah. T-shirts? Uh, and he immediately came out like attacking why you know uh, President Trump's house was raided. And, and, and made quotes like, uh, as an example, he said, do I know that the boxes or material they took from Mar-a-Lago, that they won't put things in these boxes to entrap him? How do we know? How do we know they're not going to they're going to be honest with us and was actually in the boxes? That does not sound as a comment that I'm for 99% of enforcement, at, least for, at the highest level, in this case the FBI, is 99% good people. And the whole just silliness of it all, the whole just two-faced talking is total cringe. Totally expected, by the way. Uh, but totally cringe, and and all I could do was laugh when I saw. I still remember so the 2000 uh, when Trump was running the first time, then they had the National Republican debate. Uh-huh. And Trump made, I'm sorry, Rand Paul made some mention, I don't know about what, but Trump's response was, see, I didn't bring anybody's looks into this. And, and looking at you, there's a lot to work with. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, he completely just wrecked this guy, right, on the stage, on the debate stage. What skates. a great response. It was, yeah. it was brutal. And um, and here, you know, Rand Paul, who I like, actually, I think he's he's actually pretty sharp in a lot of I mean, ways. What's going to be interesting is going to be a lot of tap dancing going on in the next few weeks. Uh, I think it relates to this topic. Yeah. Because as more data comes out, I think the the you have some folks, I think, like Marjorie Taylor Taylor, who are not going to back down. That's their... Their, That's the their brand. brand. But I think for a lot of other ones, they'd be like, mm, well, you know. And Tucker Carlson came out today and said that Trump is going to be indicted. He already. He, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He oh, came wow. out and said, he said that. He said that he absolutely believes that he will. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay, I think so Sean you, Hannity was saying that uh, the one thing that people need to remember that even if he's indicted, even if it's even if he's uh, found guilty, it doesn't stop him from running for president. So if people think that this is going to stop him from running for president. It's not the case. And he mentioned that in the Constitution, there actually there is no provision for someone that has, has a criminal record not being able to run for president. Oh, that's interesting. I'm like, that's super interesting. I don't know. Whoops. By the way, we, I don't, mi- we missed that one. Yeah, like, founding whoops. fathers. But 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 I actually think you know how I feel about about Trump. I hope he runs. Like I'm yeah, begging for him to run. I, I think that's the only shot. And that's what and and that's like the super conspiracy theorists, right? Would be saying that this is exactly for that purpose. You want to poke him and make it it's like the scene from few good men remember that scene yeah, at yeah, the yeah. very end with jack nicholson yeah, yeah. he's like i think he wants to tell it i think he wants to say it and i'm just gonna beat on him until he explodes and incriminates himself and i yeah. think there's something similar trump yeah, yeah. wants to run he wants a rematch he wants a vindication oh, yeah. Yeah, and they're yeah. just trying to ensure that that's a very compelling argument that's a you great know argument I mean? that I you want to make yeah because i think if somebody else runs it's going to be... Uh, yeah, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. It's Although be my boy, out. he's having, you know, he's having he's re- a comeback. He's re- called the comeback kid. Rebounding. He's uh, up to 40%. All he does is pass good. laws, right? That's all, he, that's all he does is pass laws. That's it. We signed and, another uh, one. We, we, we did, actually. We, he just, I, remember, I think he just signed it. This, was it today? He or did with today. The, the climate bill, the climate health care bill? Climate health care, and then there was something about inflation. I read the. Yeah. I read what it was, but uh, like canceled. with any of these bills, I don't understand what actually happens to make like inflation go down. Yeah, yeah, but he yeah, did the, sign the, it. The, yeah, on that specific bill, it's tied to on the healthcare side. So on the healthcare side, they actually put caps on what out of pocket expense people have for certain types of of, of medical expenses. So um, and I think it also ties the the increase in certain price of medicine to to uh, match inflation. So whatever inflation, like because a lot of time they go way beyond that, right? 
Um, the other thing that it does in terms of funding, which is an interesting one, right? Like, like, oh, well, how does this pay? Because the argument everyone always said, like, well, how does yeah, this actually pay? Yeah, another $490 billion or whatever. And the way from? that they do it, they actually think that it's going to cut down on, on actual national debt because what they're doing is they're putting in for companies that make at least a billion dollars in profit, they have to pay a minimum of 15% corporate tax. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about that. Like the fact that they have to, like, they have to put that in—that a billion dollars in, in profit should pay at least fifty percent corporate tax, which means for how many years these companies make over a billion have paid no taxes? Yeah, all a bunch of write-offs. Now we're going to have even less. Right. Le- we're going to have even less Latino writers now, Jesus, because uh, the billion-dollar studios are going to have to pay their taxes. <laughs> that's why it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. That's the kind of politics that I find like really interesting. Um, and then the, the, the sad thing is that you still have a bunch of people that won't support that, right? Maybe it's a simpler version of it. Okay, let's do that. But it uh, uh, it is an interesting uh, a lot. But yeah, he's, he, I think the other thing he just did is he uh, they just canceled another three point nine billion in student in student loan debt. Mm-hmm. I think that just happened maybe today as well. That one's gonna go down to zero. That's a good carrot to get the youth vote out. Although yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't I think. think so. I think he's gonna need to bring everything he's got to that to that party for him to. Dude, I'll, I'll I want to put I want to put that theme song like all I do is win win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. People are every saw a piece where they talk about like his attitude, like persona has changed. He's wearing like the aviator glasses more. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, this yeah. dude changed person. Thirty nine percent will do that to you. I'm telling this you, but it. when you were down to thirty, yeah, you it's know, true. it's like it's hey, it's nothing but upside, baby. Uh, it's, it's all it's all uh, it's all upside. Uh, too hilarious. All right, beautiful. Anything else, Jesus? I don't know. All right, my friends, thanks for joining us once again this week. Remember, live a life unsiloed. Bye. Cool.